Chapter Ten of That Affair at Portstead Manor by Gladys Edson Locke. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mavis. Mr. Clavering had made up his mind to investigate the near and dense woods which the windows of his chamber looked out upon, and he decided that no time could be better than this morning, when every one seemed occupied with their own concerns. The day was of that cool freshness which so often follows a severe storm. There was just wind enough to dry the pools of rainwater, and the sky was washed a bright, cloudless blue, altogether an ideal day for walking. Before starting out, however, he carried up to Lady Pevensey's room a primly exquisite bouquet of roses from the gardens. He impressed upon her elderly maid, Parkins, the fact that each flower had been picked by his own hands. Possibly this delicate attention affected Lady Pevensey. Possibly she was becoming weary of her own society. However it was, she consented to come to the door and thank him in person. As he was the first male creature to whom she had shown her face since Tuesday night, he felt properly flattered, and even went so far as to hint that he had a fairly definite clue as to the hiding-place of the thief and murderer. "'Well, whatever comes of it,' observed Lady Pevensey, none too encouragingly, "'you can't do much worse than that detective fellow, and he hasn't done anything.' Mr. Clavering rather bridled at this, and abruptly set off for the woods, resolved to prove to Lady Pevensey that it was possible for a careful student of detective methods to succeed where a professional had apparently failed. Emerging from the spacious park encircling the manor on all sides, he saw that a direct route to the woods must lead him across a somewhat spongy-looking meadow, but a few steps therein soon convinced him that the longest way around would be the most advisable, if he wished to preserve the immaculateness of his patent leathers and delicate fawn-colored gaiters. Accordingly, he took to the road, a branch of which dipped and wound to the entrance of the woods. As he walked along the sweet-smelling lane, now and again flecking at the high-waving bracken with his silver-topped cane, he was conscious of a thrill of expectation. What secret might not these tall, dark woods contain? Was it not probable that he should meet there the evil genius of Portstead Manor? His British stolidity, strangely shaken, he involuntarily tightened his grip upon his cane and walked on with grim resolution. Suddenly, from behind, came the rattle of wheels, the clatter of hoofs, and shrill, eager cries. He turned hastily and saw dashing toward him, out of the distance, a sturdy little foam-drenched Shetland pony, dragging a low dog-cart, jolting and jerking and swaying after him. Leaning out over the mad little beast of a pony and vigorously belaboring him with a long-tailed lash, was a small girl of eleven or twelve years, with a flying mass of red-gold hair and a sharp, elfish face. A gypsy-like woman, the other occupant of the lurching dog-cart, was endeavoring to check the ardor of the fiery little charioteer, who only redoubled her lashings and shrill cries of, "'Faster, Tony! Faster!' All this Mr. Clavering noticed as the dog-cart plunged upon him and flashed by. A moment more, and it came to a violent halt, the pony rearing upon his haunches, and the child almost thrown from the wagon. A man, tall and thin and roughly clad, had darted out from the woods and, seizing the pony's bridle, was threatening the woman and child. The child was striking at him with the whip like a little fury, and the woman's voice, loud, passionate, and vibrating with fierce, foreign imprecations, was borne back on the wind. Fired by the cowardice of the attack, Mr. Clavering ran toward the dog-cart, shouting to the man to loose the bridle. His shouts were unheard or unheeded until he was within a few feet, when the man, giving him a startled stare, unexpectedly loosed the bridle 
and plunged back into the woods. Now there was really more of the ludicrous than of the formidable in the appearance of Mr. Clavering, short, rotund, perspiring and breathless, feebly brandishing his cane, yet the fact remained that the man fled at the sight of him. Mr. Clavering had time only to observe that he wore a full, dark beard, and that there was something vaguely familiar about him. Left thus in possession of the field, it was only natural that he should, with somewhat of a conqueror's air, assure the woman and child that they need have no further fear, for he would continue to protect them. "'Fear! Corporal de Baco!' ejaculated the woman, with a withering glance at her panting knight. "'I have not fear. I need not protection. Only for the signorina. I should have jumped down and beaten him. I, myself. You should see. I am strong. He has fear of me.' Mr. Clavering was about to give the woman a fitting rebuke for her lack of gratitude, but his words died away in amazement as he studied the dark, passion-flushed face. He knew her, knew her for the woman whom he had seen in the lightning's flare the night before in the library at Portstead Manor. Fiercely she resented his stare, and snatching the reins from the child, jerked the pony about. The action roused the child, who had sat huddled in a sort of stupor since their assailant's disappearance. "'Stop, Elena!' she commanded shrilly, laying a thin, imperious little hand upon the reins. "'I wish to thank the man. Whoa, Tony!' The woman, sullenly submissive, relinquished the reins, and the child, with a smile that transformed her shrewish little face, extended her hand to Mr. Clavering. "'Thank you,' she said earnestly. "'Elena is a savage. She does not know. Please, what is your name?' As Mr. Clavering gravely informed her, the woman suddenly snatched up the reins again and gave the pony a cruel crack of the whip. As the dog-cart lurched forward, the child screamed an angry protest, but there was no stopping Tony now. Head in air, bit between teeth, he whirled and dashed and galloped, the dog-cart rocking perilously from side to side, now on the road, now off, now through the trees upon the greensward, now back again upon the road. At the risk of her neck, the child leaned out. "'My name is Mavis,' she called. What else she said was drowned in the clatter of Tony's hoofs and the cracking of the whip wielded by Elena. "'I live at Wild Rose Villa!' shrilled the child defiantly, and then the plunging wagonette and the red-haired little fury and the mysterious Elena were lost in the distance. Mr. Clavering, being the most methodical of men, always carried about with him a small memorandum book in which he jotted down, under alphabetical headings, whatever he might need for future reference. He now carefully inscribed therein, Mavis, Wild Rose Villa. End of chapter 10